0: Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a weekly news podcast from The Post and Courier. We are continuing our lead up to the 2020 election with another political episode. This week, the race between Democratic incumbent Joe Cunningham and Republican challenger Nancy Mace to represent South Carolina's first
1: congressional district. I'm Emily Williams. And I'm Gavin McIntyre. We're going to be talking with political reporter Thomas Novelli, who has been covering this race. Thanks for being on the show, Tom.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, let's rewind briefly to 2018. That's when Joe Cunningham was running against Katie Arrington, a GOP State House representative. And Arrington was expected to win, but Cunningham, who was a first time political candidate, brought in. 4,000 more votes, and went to Congress. Ever since then, the district, which runs from Charleston to Hilton Head, has been eyed by the Republican Party as a key seat to win back. So just to start, Tom, you just wrote a story that kind of puts together the political stakes of this race and and takes a closer look at these candidates. In it, you're listing off all of the things that are happening right now, the pandemic, the recession it caused. Um, and in South Carolina, the, the race between Senator Lindsey Graham and jamie harrison um, which we talked about last week and then you wrote with all that's going on it may seem easy to sweep the importance of south carolina's first district race between cunningham and republican challenger state rep nancy mace of daniel island under the rug but to do so would be a mistake so first what's your sense of that do you think that this race is getting swept under the rug at all and then can you explain why it shouldn't be
2: sure uh just to start, everyone who follows politics, uh, your average everyday voter, uh, often focuses immediately on the presidential election. And then if there's a high-profile Senate race, that usually comes to mind. People are typically not as engaged with local politics or even as much as the House races that are right in their own backyard. So that's the first point It's just that especially with a Senate race like we have between Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison where it seems like it is in – Uh, the news every single day. There's new historic fundraising records being broken. Uh, It could be easy to forget about this race between Cunningham and Mace, uh, especially because Cunningham is an incumbent. In 2018, that was the immediate news, right, is, wow, this seat that has been held for four decades by the GOP just flipped. And we saw this as part of that trend in 2018 of a blue wave where we saw 41 House districts across the country uh, switch from Republican control Republican control to Democratic control, and I think what's what's interesting about that is there was so much speculation in all these other districts across the country and people didn't really pay a whole lot of attention in 2018 to what happened here. It wasn't until after the election when we saw that Cunningham won that we saw national media outlets coming here and asking what happened uh, and what's changing in the first district. So what's important about this race is was 2018 a fluke? Was this something that was an anomaly? Was this something that was a very lucky election for Joe Cunningham? and will we see it go back to Republican control, or is this the sign of a different ideological shift in the 1st District? Would we see another long reign from one political party for a long time? And this could be a chance uh, for the Democrats to gain control of a very important seat for decades to come.
1: And I know for that same story, you're able to kind of spend some one-on-one time with the candidates, kind of outside you know, the usual debates and interviews and you know rallies could you kind of go over what you did with them and you know why you kind of like thought that'd be good to kind of like take them outside of the
2: political environment absolutely politics it's really easy to imagine uh, them as uh, you know politicians as people in suits, people that don't have a whole lot of personality and especially as a reporter, it's easy to get sucked into press releases, campaign events, uh, etc. And so it's important to just catch a uh, candidate uh, in an environment where they feel comfortable. So speaking with both of the campaigns, I was able to arrange some one-on-one time with each of them amid a very busy schedule. Um, so with Cunningham, um, it's really easy to forget that he's not from the Carolinas or from from Charleston. He just has this very personable vibe to him. He's a huge fan of the local beer scene. Um, but he also loves uh, South Carolina's beaches, particularly Sullivan's Island. So I got to spend some time with him the other day uh, walking on the beach with him and his dog, Teddy, who's this uh, mixed-breed rescue, uh, who was bouncing all over the place, was very lovable. Um, and Cunningham kind of – encompass this almost like kenny chesney country artist type vibe when you are on the beach with him he's he's wearing a backwards black ball cap that has lewis barbecue on it he's wearing a charleston beer week t-shirt he's got his polarized wayfarers on um and it was just this cool moment he, he went barefoot instead of wearing sandals and it was kind of this this great moment where you can see that he's really embodied the the low country persona and i think a big part of that came from Uh, when he was a student for two years at the College of Charleston. He actually lived above uh, Justine's Kitchen on on Meeting Street during that time, and he kind of had this this love affair with Charleston. So that was a really nice one on one time where I got to talk about, you know, why he cares about the low country. Um, And and also, you know, something that's really interesting is that, you know, he's a father, a very proud father. He's he's got a two year old son. Um, And the day after he announced his candidacy in 2017 is when he found out that that he and his wife were going to have a child. And so we've actually kind of seen his son grow up in front of us. And that's – they also have a very active – him and his wife have a very active Instagram presence. So you honestly are seeing this child kind of grow up as you're seeing, you know, Cunningham mature through his politics in in Congress. You see him, uh, you know, going from – Being a congressman who kind of got slapped on the wrist for bringing a six pack onto the House floor when he was talking about uh, congressional um, for craft beer laws and and measures Um, to him really taking charge of uh, some really important bills and actually three of the ones that he's co-sponsored have been signed into law. Um, And then to Mace's side, uh, Nancy Mace is no stranger to the low country and to the spotlight. I mean, Nancy Mace was the first woman to graduate from the Citadel Corps of Cadets in 1999. Um, She also ran a political kind of media and public relations firm, and she did run for U.S. Senate in 2014. Uh, Unsuccessfully, she didn't. Uh, secure the Republican nomination. And she ran against Lindsey Graham. Um, but we, we're familiar with familiar with her. Um, and, and she's tried to push just this low country values, low country resident character um, onto the voters. And particularly one one line that I love that her campaign is used is from the Waffle House to the State House. She's the hardest working person in the room. And that's because she actually worked at the Waffle House when when she was a teenager and um, So I got the chance to catch up with her, and we went to the Waffle House that she worked at in Ladson, and uh, we caught up. We had a meal. Um, I think, you know, what's the most important thing to know about somebody is what is their Waffle House hash brown order. Uh, She got her hash browns scattered, smothered, diced, peppered, and capped. For the unanointed to the Waffle House lingo, that means the potatoes are thrown on the grill. They have onions, diced tomatoes, uh, jalapeno peppers, and mushrooms, um, which is basically like a salad. But instead of lettuce, you have some crispy hash browns. Um, But it was great. So we got to talk there over a cup of coffee. People were stopping her. Um, taking pictures with her in her Waffle House coffee mug. And there she just talked about actually a lot of the hardships that she's faced, too. Um, some some really tough times in her life where she had to overcome adversity. And while she was very nostalgic about you know being in the same Waffle House that she worked in as a teenager, it also brought up some of the struggles that she had just trying to find herself and, and also overcome adversity um, at the Citadel. So it was just really great to talk to both of them in environments that had a lot of personal significance for them.
1: And you've been following for quite a while and, you
2: know, hearing their speeches
1: and, you know, the debates. Was there anything that stood out from your conversations that you didn't know or something that, you know, kind of struck you?
2: Yeah, both of them come off uh, a certain way on camera and on uh, the debate stage, Uh, but they're both very personable as it is. And and I think that's the important thing to know is that, you know, politics – is very much so about image and and getting a chance for them to let their guard down. Um, you know, I I realize that there are a lot of things that they actually share in common, and I think that's what we see a lot of the time in politics is that uh, you know they both want to see a lot of the same issues solved. Whether it's you know they want to see offshore drilling um, stop off the the shore of, of South Carolina, uh, they want to see better environmental reform if possible they're both fiscally conservative Uh, but we talk about the main thing is just the vessels to get there Um, for one thing I was really surprised to hear about uh, how progressive Nancy Mace uh, wants her office to be she said that she wants you know her campaign office to reflect Uh, if she's elected she wants her office to reflect what the community looks like she wants to have a very diverse staff Uh, one surprising thing i found out is that all of her paid staffers are all female on her campaign at the moment which is really interesting to hear and also something that she's pushed as being a single working mother Um, she talks very much so about having women in leadership roles and such and then talking with joe cunningham about how you know the Second Amendment for him uh, is is important. You know things that you wouldn't see from a straight uh, ticket uh, politician. You know somebody who might just check all the boxes of what makes a Democratic candidate, what makes a Republican candidate. There is some give and take with both of them, and you might not hear that every single day on the debate stage or uh, when they're you know talking uh, in Congress or, or talking in the state house. Um, but they're things that they're happy to talk about conversationally.
0: So just briefly, let's let's talk about some of the numbers that we have um, with the race between Senator Graham and, and Jamie Harrison. Of course, we've been talking about this record-shattering fundraising. What does the fundraising look like for these candidates, and and how do they compare?
2: Sure. Uh, in comparison to the the Graham-Harrison race, everything seems small, certainly. And and House races definitely don't bring as much money as Senate races do. Uh, But there are some really interesting trends to notice. So uh, keep in mind, you know, when Cunningham was elected in 2018, that immediately puts him in a good position to fundraise ahead of the Republican primary and and knowing who he's going to be running up against. So uh, to date, uh, as of the latest uh, FEC filings, uh, Cunningham has about six million dollars. Mace is trailing with four million dollars right now. But there's something kind of important to notice with that trend, and that is that the Mace outraised Cunningham in this last quarter, you know, four quarters in an election fundraising cycle. Uh, and this last one, uh, just before election uh, time in November, that's really crucial. She outraised him by $500,000, $500, half a million dollars. And that comes from her courting a lot of really big support in the Republican Party. Uh, we saw a very notable endorsement uh, from a lot of people. We saw Trump tweeting out support for her so what we're seeing is people realizing how dire uh this race is for republicans and people are starting to write checks so i think that's the more, most noticeable thing um and in terms of polling that's going on right now um right now the latest poll that we have was from the Democratic democratic congressional campaign committee cunningham is ahead by 13 points 55 percent to 42 percent um and that's a big swing the thing that is That we need to note here is that this was considered a toss-up race by the cook political report as recently as last month and then after the first real debate between cunningham and mace we saw it shift where it's leaning in favor of cunningham Uh, so what we're seeing is just you know two uh politicians right now who are really in that final stretch of the horse race and Mace is, is just trying to put everything that she can in court as much support financially as she can so that she can keep running ads and keep trying to combat his message.
0: Let's let's talk about those debates. So they've had two debates so far. Right. Um, what about that? That second one? Let's start with that. Was there any. Anything notable in that one that was different from the first? uh, Or was it pretty similar to that first one? And then we'll kind of get into what, what are some of the recurring things that are in the recurring talking points that are coming up. But just first, was there much of a difference between that second and that first debate?
2: Sure. I think we saw Mace's message come off as slightly more bipartisan. And I think that things that she was talking about in the first debate Uh, as it related to the GOP platform, were much more uh, muted. I think that they were talking more specifically about things, um, especially, and I'm sure we'll get into these issues later, but uh, different terminology when talking about climate change, when talking about taxes. uh, What we saw was was less of what you would find from every other GOP campaign happening across the country right now, and more of her trying to tailor that message to the low country. She especially wanted to win uh, the suburban women vote, which is a key demographic in this district, one that really brought the race into Cunningham's hands in 2018. We see her trying to win that support by her continuing to stress that she is a single working mother. and that you know she understands what what mothers go through and uh you know whether we see if that message lands or not you know we'll know in november and probably with some subsequent polling before then um but i think that was the biggest change we saw and then cunningham uh was was honestly coming out uh with some attacks i think that we saw him uh consistently hitting mace for things that are actually kind of part of the conservative playbook so you know, it's very rare to have a Democratic politician come after a Republican for wanting to raise taxes. And this is in reference to May saying that she supports a fair tax that would be a 23 percent tax across the board on various services and goods and such. Um, And, you know, he came out and said, look, I don't want to raise your taxes. The Republican candidate does. And that's something that we see as kind of flipping the script. Um, And I think that was what was most notable from the last debate.
0: In that first debate, one of the things we heard mentioned multiple times was Nancy Pelosi's name, so the Democratic House Speaker. And Nancy Mace was was trying to tie Joe Cunningham to Nancy Pelosi, which is not uncommon, especially in a race that has leaned Republican for so long. What were some of her arguments in, in connecting him to Pelosi? And then what was Cunningham's rebuttal?
2: So this, like you said, is a standard GOP tactic we're seeing across the country. Nancy Pelosi being the House Speaker, uh, you know, she is divisive. It is something she is somebody who uh, rubs against the GOP frequently and causes a lot of friction. So to attack uh, Cunningham. On Any tie to Pelosi is a hit towards his bipartisan message that he's trying to put out there is he said, you know, she's trying to say that he represents Pelosi's interests, not the low countries. Uh, He uh, overall, I think he did a pretty good job of defending that. So she tried to say that he votes with her 90 percent of the time. And he says, look, one of the first votes I had in Congress was I didn't vote for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker of the House. I voted for somebody else. So immediately he tried to, to distance that. And then he points back to a lot of bipartisan measures that, you know, that he feels like he's had Republican support from. So what he's doing is he's highlighting the issues that matter the most to low country voters, offshore drilling, um, support of military bases and military installations across the state, uh, and saying, look, this is something that you don't have to be a Republican. You don't have to be a Democrat. You just have to care about South Carolina to care about this.
0: So so we're going to play a bit of that debate, uh, so let's run that clip.
1: let start off by, it, didn't, it doesn't seem like my opponent uh, can answer a question without a, a noun, a verb in Nancy Pelosi. And look, if you're so hell-bent on running against Nancy Pelosi, I would suggest you buy yourself a plane ticket to California. But so long as you're in the low country and you're in the first congressional district, You need to run against me. So another issue that came up repeatedly was Nancy Mace's voting attendance. Cunningham said Mace missed nearly 30 percent of the votes in the South Carolina State House in
2: 2020. Uh, How did she respond to that? Nancy Mace uh, immediately came out and took it as a personal attack on her as a single working mother and tried to align Joe Cunningham uh, with being against uh, women running for office. He, she made this kind of direct plea to the audience saying that nobody watching should be dissuaded from running for office and such. And I will say that, that both of them kind of highlighted voting record, whether it was her trying to highlight him voting 90 percent of the time with Pelosi and him hammering her for, for missing – uh, some votes in the state House but those things usually go over voters heads we're not looking and counting every single time that they're in their seats but we're trying to see what does that mean overall uh, Cunningham's political point he was trying to make was that uh, I'm gonna do the job for you I will be in the chair I will not be missing. Uh, votes and calls to action and that was what he was trying to land with and instead of responding with how she has you know shown up how she has even pushed a few bipartisan measures herself through the state house and had some really key votes uh, she made it more of a personal attack on on single mothers on mothers on women wanting to run for office Uh, and I think some people were confused by that and I think that some people thought the attack may have landed a little flat
0: so we're gonna play another short clip from that debate about that particular issue
1: you should be ashamed of yourself for this attack I want every working mother and working father working family in this district that's facing an unprecedented time right now trying to make decisions for their family I missed a few votes last week because I'm a single working mom homeschooling her children you have no idea what a working family You don't have any idea what kind of problems or challenges we are facing today. You should be ashamed of yourself.
0: So Tom, you also cover the military in South Carolina and one story that you've been following has very much crossed over between those two beats and that has to do with Paris Island. So we learned late last month that the Marines were considering closing their two existing bases, one of which is at Paris Island in Beaufort County to open a new training facility for men and women that would meet a requirement that the boot camp be co-ed. So how did this end up being a bit of a political volleyball for a little bit in this race?
2: So this came out of left field with a military.com report, military.com being a you know news organization that focuses on the Department of Defense. And there was speculation from the commandant, of the Marine Corps, saying that if Paris Island can't meet a congressional mandate to make training uh, completely co-ed and gender neutral, then they might have to look at other options. One of those that he floated being, like you said, building a completely new base and maybe closing Paris Island. Uh, this came out, um, this report came out and then shortly after Mace's campaign tied it to Joe Cunningham, or at least attempted to try to tie it to Joe Cunningham. Uh, that congressional mandate was included in a defense spending bill uh, from tw- early in 2020, and Cunningham voted in favor of it. Uh, and while the spending bill itself had no specific mention that Paris Island would be on the chopping block at all, um, you know, one could argue that uh, because he supported this bill and because that mandate was something that the Commandant said might be difficult for paris island to get up to speed on you might be able to make that argument however that spending bill is an absolute necessity and it didn't enumerate that that paris island would be harmed in any way it's not like joe cunningham looked at this bill and realized that there was direct harm to paris island in fact there were some provisions in that bill that were helpful for paris island in terms of securing more funding for needed infrastructure uh for them and also every member of south carolina's delegation in D.C., excluding Tom Rice, um, supported this bill. So you could just as easily try to point the finger at Lindsey Graham. You could just as easily try to point the finger at Tim Scott. Um, so Cunningham tried to navigate this uh, by, you know, publicly saying, look, I've spoken with the commandant, and he told me that, um, you know, there's not, this isn't an immediate threat and that this didn't lead to this, uh, th- that that measure, you know, doesn't exclusively say that this is going to close Paris Island. Um, So we saw it as this kind of confusing thing for for voters because they didn't really understand what was happening. And when these attacks came out during the debates, they're trying to put two and two together. And then when we start to sift through the semantics and look through the actual bills, we realize it's not as much of a reality as we thought it was. Um,
0: So let's wrap up by going over some of the issues that voters will likely be thinking about when they go to the polls. So, so far you've published three installments of a four-part series on these candidates' policy views. So, they were given the same questions and the opportunity to respond in their own words, and we will link all three of those in our show notes. So, let's go through their responses on a few of, just a few of the key points. First, economic relief during the pandemic. So, you asked, and this was a little earlier this month, if they're in favor of increased and in and additional unemployment assistance and stimulus checks for the American people during the pandemic. How did they respond?
2: It's worth noting at first that both of them were against the additional $600 in um, unemployment insurance, but kind of for different reasons. So Cunningham uh, believes that there should be more stimulus, but that it should be tailored to more of a local economy so seeing what are the first district specific needs and then providing uh that correct amount of stimulus uh for mace uh she believes that the best economic stimulus is reopening um you know as soon as possible and as safely as possible to be able to get money pumping back into uh, the economy that same series of questions touched on
1: a few other aspects of the economy. You asked whether they believe big businesses should be taxed more, and asked for their stances on unions, how did their answers align and how did they differ?
2: Uh, Cunningham definitely had a, the most bipartisan response. He understands that this district is very fiscally conservative, cares about um, bringing jobs to this this area, uh, so he's against uh, you know increased taxation on South Carolina businesses, uh, and then also again in a kind of a bipartisan way, didn't say that he was anti-union, but he respects that the state is a, a right-to-work state and acknowledges that the voters have the right to choose and individual uh, groups have the right to choose. Uh, Mace also, uh, as a conservative, against increased taxation on, on South Carolina businesses, uh, but very much so anti-union and believe it causes uh, more harm to a business than good.
0: And another installment of the series addressed the nation's health care system. So I think the, the main question on this is do either of these candidates support the Affordable Care Act better known as or Ob- Obamacare? And if not, do they have a plan for what they would replace it with? And if they do want to keep it, would they change it in any way?
2: Uh, Cunningham acknowledges that there were parts of the Affordable Care Act that he felt like were not useful or uh, not helpful to the American people. But he realizes that parts of it were good. So his whole talking point has been Let's fix what work, fix what needs to be fixed, and let's keep what works, and let's uh, let's workshop that, you know, as with a bipartisan solution through Congress, um, and then Mace. Uh, very much so against uh, the Affordable Care Act, believes it should be fully repealed, thought that it was a series of missed promises from the uh, Barack Obama administration. Um, and she's advocating for free market capital, uh, you know, capitalist solutions. She stands by what Rand Paul has done in terms of lowering the prices of prescription drugs and allowing people to create health savings accounts and such. And, and has a more capitalist mindset when it comes to fixing healthcare.
1: And one very important issue uh, that you addressed with the candidates with their uh, uh, views on climate change science and you know, uh, President Donald Trump issuing the oil drilling mar- moratorium for the southeastern coast definitely, you know, played a role in, in this election. I guess, which have each of them done to stop offshore drilling off uh, South Carolina's coast and how did they respond to President Trump's order that lengthen- lengthened uh, drilling moratorium on the Atlantic coast?
2: So, President Trump's uh, order on offshore drilling really took the wind out of the sails for both candidates. I mean, this is something that Cunningham has campaigned on, and he did get a House bill, um, you know, passed a uh, bill passed through the House about banning offshore drilling. And of course, you know, he was glad to see that the administration made offshore drilling a priority. Obviously Cunningham would have wished that that was his bill that would have passed through the Senate that would have caused that. Um, but he also realizes that the the moratorium on offshore drilling that Trump issued is not permanent. So he's advocating we still need a federal permanent ban. And he says, look, my bill is sitting in the Senate. Let's make it into law. Let's make it, uh, let's make it a done deal. And that's something that will obviously score him a bunch of political points if that can happen. Um, as it came to Nancy Mace, uh, she was also against offshore drilling. And And helped with state uh, state state-level bills and efforts to stop offshore drilling Um, and of course you know as a supporter of the president she was uh, very excited to see him make that a priority as well Uh, and then she continued to hammer joe cunningham for his bill saying look uh, he didn't have bipartisan support for this it's still sitting in the house it's not law and that climate change issue is going to be probably the biggest part of this election
0: You also asked directly about climate change and if they believe in climate change. Did they give clear yes or no answers?
2: Joe Cunningham gave the most unequivocally clear answer I've ever seen a politician give. And he says, I believe in climate science. Uh, I believe in climate change. I made that explicitly known. That was in response to Mace during a Pines and Politics event uh, here at The Post and Courier where she said that she believed that uh, the science isn't completely settled on it. That she sees some efforts, uh, you know, some some moments where she feels like there's science to back it up, and other times where there is not. Uh, it kind of made this weird flat Earth comparison as well to how you know scientists once believed the Earth was flat, and you know, look how we were proven wrong. So, what about climate change? Um, and she's since kind of backtracked from that answer about kind of not giving a clear cut if she does believe in, in climate change or not, um, and has tried to kind of say that, yes, climate change is serious, but still keeping it vague as to if she believes in both sides of it.
0: And again, that, that's only a snapshot of some of those questions that they answered, so we will include those in our show notes, um, some important information they're giving insight into what these candidates think about some important issues. Um Tom, last question for you. What's your Waffle House hash brown order?
2: Wow. I I wasn't expecting gotcha questions on this podcast. But my Waffle House order is smothered, covered, peppered, and capped. So that is cheese, onions, jalapenos, mushrooms. You got to have the cheese. It's essential.
0: And more importantly, what is the best way that listeners can follow along as you're
2: covering this race? Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at, at Tom Novelli to see all my musings.
1: Thank you again, Tom, for joining us uh, today. We really appreciate it and you know, look forward to more of your coverage of the congressional race. Next week, we're answering your questions about voting to wrap up our three-week series of Election 2020 coverage. Thanks to everyone who sent in their questions.
0: And don't forget, we have relaunched our weekly newsletter for this podcast, and we will leave that link in our show notes as well, where you can sign up. It's free, and you'll be the first to know when new episodes are posted. And if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at UnderstandSC. We'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week.